everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adela Marcy, and I told you guys, season four, Legends Edition, we bring on the best people we can find around the world that I consider legends, and this week is no exception. We got none other than Joe Schriefer. So it's hard to say that right, Schriefer? Yes, sir. You nailed it. Awesome. Cool. I was like wondering if I said it wrong. But Joe works down at Agora Financial. Um, the guy's a killer. He's an absolute legend when it comes down to the right response. And um, we're going to talk a few about a little bit about his results. But I got introduced to him by our other guest, Jonathan Riviera. And I've seen Joe's name everywhere because I've had um, David Garfinkel. He, he was yep. interviewed by David and like I saw that. I was like, man, I'd love to interview that guy, but I don't think I can get in touch with him. And Jonathan Riviera was like, hey, I'll introduce you. I was like, great. Just, you know, fun stuff like that as you do between friends. So, Joe, welcome to the show and the madhouse, as I like to call it. Cool. Well, thank you. Uh, like we were just saying before, you know, you hit record that there are no secrets in my book. I believe in the idea of abundance. So I am happy to share anything and everything that would help everybody who's listening here right now. And hopefully, you know, we can make everybody a bunch of money and, and introduce some new ideas in the world today. Oh, dude, I'm totally down for that. That just makes me so much happier that uh, I find someone that can actually do the exact same thing I do in that sense. So real quickly to shout out to our sponsors of the show, uh, as always, we're sponsored by AdelAmarcy.com. Go there, check out previous shows that we've done. Also sign up to our mailing list. Uh, for future shows, storysellingemails.com, which is uh, an email training that I've put out there for you guys. You guys can just understand the strategy behind how I write emails that convert and keep people looped in. Um, and also by agorafinancial.com. Of course, you guys can reach Joe personally. He's going to give you his email address later at the end of the show. But right now, um, more than anything, my first question to you is how did you get started in direct response? Because, you know, I, I, people on my show have heard me talk about it, but I'm curious about how you got started. Sure. So uh, I always like to say it was completely by accident. You know, I'll give you my quick uh, two-minute story. But I went to school for uh, – I graduated with, with a bachelor's degree in something called mass communications, which to this day I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what it means. So, uh, you know, I get, out of, I get out of school and I'm working retail at Sports Authority, the sporting retailer that has since I believe went out of business. <laughs> Sports Authority – hang out with my friends and I couldn't do this because I was working weekends so I started interviewing for a couple jobs I interviewed for three jobs in the same day uh, one was physicians marketing assistant again like uh, I still don't know what that is just like mass communications yep. the second thing was Agora uh, and the third thing was at a headhunter and Agora was the job I did not want I just didn't know what they did I couldn't really understand it after looking at their profile but yet, they were the only one of the three that actually offered me a job. So I haphazardly found myself taking that job only because I didn't have to work on nights and weekends and I can go drink beer with my friends. So I took that job. It paid shit. Uh, but I took it because, again, it was paying more than what Sports Authority was paying me and I didn't have to work nights and weekends. So I really haphazardly fell into Agora. Uh, for six months, I had no clue what it is we did. I thought we were a big junk mail company. And then somewhere around my six-month anniversary, someone showed me how to actually tell how many people that we were mailing all this junk mail to, how many people were responding. And that's kind of when I got hooked. And that's when I, I, I began to look at everything direct response related and found out how awesome it was that with words, we can influence people's action in a very, very measurable direct response sort of way. 
So that's kind of my two-minute spiel. Gore was the job I didn't want. It was the only job that did hire me. And, uh, you know, my life changed from that time uh, 16, 17 years ago, whenever it was. Wow. So I was going to say, I wonder when that when that began. And now it's like, you just told me 17 years, 16, 17 years ago. That's crazy yeah. that you basically started out almost around the same time I did. <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit older than you. So yeah, I was ba- about Just barely. <laughs> I was 10 years older than you, I think, when you than when you started. <laughs> I, I wish I would have found it when I was 12 years old. I didn't. I was um, too until I was about 22, 23 years old to really stumble my way in, inside this industry. Dude, I'm 28. I'm still considered pretty dumb by most standards, so it's always fun. Um, but something I'm really curious about here, because the thing I've always found in financial copy, and it's one of the reasons why I've never really gone into it, is I have like this weird innate fear that I'm going to fuck it up. Um <laughs> So you actually have a system around teaching people how to write financial copy, right? Because I know that's something, it's called copyboarding or something that you guys do over uh, Agora? Correct, yeah. So really it's not just financial copy. You know, it's our way of getting new copywriters up to speed as fast as possible. But it doesn't matter if it's finance or health or survival or personal development. Really Mm -hmm. all copyboarding is, is a way to try to anticipate the objections that the reader is going to feel after they hear your idea, and then organize those objections, and then use your copy in a way to overcome those objections in a very systematic way to walk through a persuasive sales piece. Because one of the big problems that I see, we have about 35 copywriters on staff here in Baltimore, And because we have 35, you know, there's probably not 35 amazing copywriters in the world. So our 35 copywriters that we have on staff are pretty young in their careers, a lot of them, and they don't know how to write a long form sales letter yet. So what copyboarding does is once they have an idea, it just allows them not to fuck up that good idea in 30 pages. So it's just a way to structure that 30 page promotion without fucking themselves up. Okay, so I'm curious though, why is it 30 pages? Because like, um, this is why I always say to people, like I can usually sell as much as I do in five pages versus 30 pages. But I'm just always curious why it's always more. Yeah, so we test this all the time. Yeah, that's why I wanted Uh, to ask you that. (laughs) We test it all the time and all I can tell you is I don't know why, I could just tell you what works. And anytime we write longer copy, it works. So, you know, I don't know what the, um, at some point it would, it would degrade the response, of course. You know, if we wrote four hour video sales letters, it probably wouldn't work as well as an hour. But I'm yeah. not sure how long, you know, that uh, attention span is for our customer. I'm sure at some point it has an end life. But for us, you know, we, we typically write, you know, 30, 35 pages. If you translate that over into a video sales letter, our probably, our average length is around an hour. And again, we'll test this every six months. We cut that hour long sales letter down to, to a half an hour, down to a 15 minute. And every single time we cut it, it continues to lose. So, you know, I'm, I'm, this is going to differ per market too, right? Like the yeah. market that we write to in financial copy for Agora Financial tends to be someone who's at retirement age, uh, approaching retirement age rapidly or past retirement age, who is of that typical reader world. You know, they've been used to reading the newspapers their whole life. They've been used to reading uh, novels their whole life. They've been re- used to, to, to reading a whole lot in their life. My guess, of course, is that if someone's writing to the much younger audience, you know, the Twitter world, the Facebook world, then yeah, I'm sure that shorter copy is going to win or is winning at some point. But for right now, our typical avatar does have a decent amount of time on their hands. They're used to reading. 
So that's why I think it's still our long copy that's working, whereby in some other markets, you know, some shorter copy might work because maybe it's writing to that younger audience uh, who has different attention spans. See, I, I love the fact that you actually touched on that because it is down to who you're writing to. Like Absolutely. That, like I, the way I've always positioned my copy is that most of my customers always, almost my clients write to people below the 50-year-old mark. Yep. And it's not that it's not just the attention span thing. It's the fact that they're bombarded on what market they're in, like financial. Yeah, you need to know your stuff. You need to understand what's there. Um, whereas shorter form copy, like five, maybe ten pages total, is a completely different feel than what it is. And that that's what it is. I'm glad that you actually pointed that out. Which brings me to like this question that you just really like struck a nerve in my mind: is how long does it actually take someone to write, like, say, a thirty page promotion? And the reason I ask that is because for me, when I sit down to write, I take a couple of weeks to uh, process and then I take about a week to, uh, I take a couple of days to write and then I, sp I take a day or two off and then come back and edit and then I send it into my client. So it's about a four week to six week process. Mm -hmm. How long does it take you guys to actually write a 30 page mailer to go out? Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, and I'm going to give you an answer and then I'm going to give you a, a quote that I love and then I'm going to give you a little bit more insight if that works for you. Yeah, it works. Perfectly. So the quick answer is it takes on average about eight weeks to put out a promotion for our business right now. The quote that I like, however, is comes from Abe Lincoln and it's one of two of my favorite copywriting quotes that have nothing to do with copywriting. So this is an Abe Lincoln quote. And he said something like, if you give me five hours to chop down the tree, I'll spend the first four sharpening the ax. Yep. So for us, if you give us eight weeks to write a sales letter, uh, I will probably think about the idea. I'll do the research for four or five weeks. I won't write a damn thing. Yep. For four or five weeks, I'll do a ton of research. I'll find out exactly where I believe the avatar is. I'll find out how saturated they are. I'll try to look for a new, unique idea that they've never heard before. Once I have that idea, I typically write it very quick. So if you look at me, you know, in the eight weeks, let's uh, die, let's kind of dissect that a little bit. For me, it's probably four to five weeks on coming up with a big idea. Then it's probably a week, two weeks at max writing that idea. And then our business is pretty large and we deal with a heavily regulated industry. So we have a whole compliance team that we have to work with. So it's back and forth with the lawyers for about a week. And then maybe, you know, it's it's to our designers for a couple days and that makes up the eight weeks. So uh, for us, again, the most important part though, isn't the actual writing. And that's where copyboarding comes in because copyboarding, like I said earlier, just helps you not fuck up a good idea. The importance for our industry is to come up with a good big idea and that takes the majority of those eight weeks. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I'm glad that you actually said that. So everyone else that's listening to this is like, why can't you write? Like, it took you four hours to write that entire funnel. Why did Why did it take you like six weeks? It's like because I spent four, four and a half, five weeks just basically looking at everything. Absolutely. It's, yeah, you sharpen that axe for four or five weeks before you charted to chop down that tree. Yeah, because the way that my brain works and something I've realized, even like say for instance, because I don't know how things are going to go forward. I mean, there might be a time they end up working with Agora. Who knows? Um, because that's always a, you know, I haven't worked in the financial market, but I've worked in 250 different like niches and markets. It's like financial is the only one I stayed away from, but survival, self-development, self-defense, all those are my favorite ones as well to write with. But what I'm getting at is when you're writing those sales pieces, um, I like to do things done right rather than, so the whole thing is, you know, that phrase, uh, I'd rather have it done than it be perfect. Yep. Um, I don't believe that. My thing is I'd rather be done right than done wrong. 
Mm-hmm. Because if it's yeah. done wrong, it's what's the point of even doing it? Absolutely. You know, I mean, there are certain people that come to our business and they say, look, I'm going to write you a sales letter in two weeks. And I no, know it's going to work, right? Because they're not going to think hard about the idea. They're going to give me a sales letter in two weeks. It's going to be 30 pages. It's going to look like a sales letter. It's going to have subheads in the proper place and the close and the call to action. The problem with it is it's going to be a shit idea because they haven't thought about the idea. Yep. Uh, something that like so few people even really think about like to its full extent is how ideas are formed and why they need to be put in the place they are. At the end of the day, um, fair enough, I can say to people, I can probably verbalize your sales letter in about six or seven minutes, which I can do. Um, but something that's like a great idea, like for something that is being mailed out, there's a big difference. If you're sending something that's mailed out, no, that's going to take time yep. and practice and understanding. Right now I can do that just because, you know, I've got a decade of professional work and I've got 16 years of daily practice that can get down mm-hmm. to that. But even then, if I'm writing for a new market, hell yeah, I'm researching the crap out of it. I ain't going to send you anything that's less than perfect for me. <laughs> Because at the end of the day, that, that's what it is. If I send, okay, the, the best way I can put this for the people that are listening, if you try and send something, say, Agora, um, the best thing I would say, and I'd even ask Joe's input on this because it's just my thought process and it's great to have a guy that's here. I'd put something together that's a brilliant idea for their marketplace and I'd research the hell out of it. And then I'd write it and I'd even personally go ahead and do what Halbert used to do, which is I'd find my target niche and this is how I do my research. I'd find my target market person, go out to them, read them the sales letter or give it to them and ask them to get back to me with some feedback. And if their feedback is anything less than, where can I get this? It's not a good enough job. Or if it's like, this is good, I would totally buy, but I don't have the money. That's fine too. Because then it's ready to me, in my opinion. At that point, it's ready to send off to Agora to be like, hey guys, I wrote this letter. It took me a couple of weeks to get done. Blah, here you go. And these are the results. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like when we give sales letters to people to get feedback before we go out and mail them, you're exactly right that the answer you don't want is, oh, that's interesting. You know, the answer that you don't want is, oh, it's written well. The only answer you want is exactly what you said. Where can I get this? Where, how much can I pay you to learn more about what it is you're saying? That's the feedback that you want. Anything else is unacceptable. Yeah. No, I agree with you. It's like one of those crazy things where, um, like, you know, the Halbert story, right? Where Halbert used to go into a bar and read out his copy to them and he goes, they said anything else but that, he would throw the letter away and start again. Yep. Same thing. Yep, but, same thing. So I'd ask you on this question, how do you actually do your market research? Like, what's your what's your method? Mm, um we well, you know we're we're kind of lucky to the point that we have so many customers here at Agora Financial. So if you look at it, we probably are approaching close to a million unique customers, a million unique paying customers, people that are actively paying us stuff. Yeah. So the market research that we get really comes in by the day, right? It comes in with uh, we have a call center here in Baltimore, so you could sit on the phones and you could listen to. The voices that call up, people that want to cancel their subscriptions with us, people that are interested in starting new subscriptions with us because they've read some of their sales letters, you know, the fears and the frustrations and the desires that they have. So we're lucky in the way that we could hear from them on a daily basis. If we can't hear them on the phone, then of course they're not shy about writing us emails. 
So going through all of that feedback that we get when we mail out a promotion, both the feedback from the numbers of how many people subscribed or the feedback of how they felt about that idea if they didn't buy. So that is where we we get a bunch of our market research. You know, of course, the other way is that we can upload them into Facebook and we can kind of reverse look at them um, as a group to say, are there avatars, are there profiles that seem to be similar after we mass upload these people, you know, in an audience capture in Facebook. So that's really it. And then, you know, for us, we, over the years of having that experience, we've kind of narrowed it down to, it's normally for us the same demographic, which I just kind of explained, like people that are uh, at, uh, rapidly approaching or past retirement age, you know, at some point that they've had the conversation to say, oh shit, uh, I have money and I don't know what to do with it, or I don't have any money and I need to retire and I need to figure out how to make money. But, you know, it's all basically the same demographic there. Of course, the psychographics uh, will change a little bit depending on if there's someone that has money or someone that doesn't have money. But we kind of have the idea of three basic profiles that we talk to all of our new copywriters about. Uh, of course, we, we allow them to explore, you know, learning who our customers are for themselves. But during our training process, we do give them those three avatars based on our, our previous experience. So it's a long winded way to say that we just listen to our customers because we have so many of them. And then we try to reverse engineer them through something like Facebook where we can get the rest of the data on their interests and their desires and their ages and things. See, that's really interesting when you guys put it that way. Like, do you mind if I share with you how I do mine? Maybe you guys might be able to even implement some of this because I know you guys are a huge sprawling empire, but if there's someone that really wants to work with Agora, or maybe there's someone that's already there that wants to try this out, do you mind if I share something? Absolutely, I'd love, you know, to me, this is all about learning, both of us, right? Yeah, and all of us well, together in the community, so absolutely. Dude, don't get me wrong, I'm actually taking notes on the side right now with a notepad, <laughs> like you can't hear, but I'm like silently taking notes. Um, but one of the things I do differently uh, for my research process is I actually, because uh, once I get the avatar for my customer, who it is they want, I look at all the work and go, okay, this is who, after so many years, I kind of developed a second sense for it, um, or a sixth sense, sorry, for it, is I just kind of go into it and really understand who that avatar is. Uh, I actually find out everything I can about their avatar and then start watching their avatar's pop culture. Mm -hmm. That's a great idea too. And hang out where their avatar hangs out. Absolutely. So I really start, like, say, for instance, if one of my avatars, like, what were the four markets you guys work in? This financial, survival, self-development, what's the last one? Uh, health is going to be the last one. So even though, this is going to get a little confusing, so it's going to take 30 seconds of explanation. Okay. Even though we're called Agora Financial, we do own an alternative health publishing company as well called Health Sense Media. It's kind of underneath our umbrella at Agora Financial. So that's the fourth one is going to be uh, just alternative health information. That's cool. So, so we've got health as well. So let's, um, so just pick one for me, just one of the four. Yeah, let's say uh, self-defense. Okay, you so, said that too. Yeah, so like if your self-defense program is, say on, um, I'd find out what it is their self-defense style is, like, you know, the, the perfect customer, like, oh, they play, uh, they do yoga to get in shape, you know, that's their thing to get in shape. They can't defend themselves if things go wrong. So what I do, I go take up yoga for a month. Yep. I speak to a couple of people and I ask them, hey, so, you know, I'm just curious about this whole self-defense thing and, you know, what it is and find out what it is that they're after, what goals would they want to have. Actually go in there and even tell the, the instructor, like, look, I'm not trying to take anything away from you guys. I'm just curious. Do you guys mind if I actually interview a few people afterwards just saying, I'm coming together like a self-defense company and I really want to find out exactly what they're looking for, like what, why you would want to buy. 
Like, why would you want to understand self-defense? Because it helps me understand exactly what you guys want. Because if it's the wrong fit, then great. That, that's fine, but it gives me an idea. So I'd go to a yoga studio, find that stuff out. Great, now I know. And then I reverse engineer it. I look at the pop culture that's studying. Okay, if your average customer for self-defense that really needs it is, let's say that a woman between 21 and 35 years old, um, I know it's a huge range, but let's say it's 21, 35 years old, they're a female, and they're looking to defend themselves. They do yoga, um, but they're scared of being attacked on the street. So, you know, our self-defense program helps them with this. Now I've got that data in there. Okay, what do they like to watch? They like to watch the Desperate Housewives of whatever it is. Name a county. Mm-hmm. All right, start watching it. Like watching cartoons like Big Mouth or Rick and Morty or Archer. Great, start watching that. They like watching, um, they're vegan. Okay, fine. We start looking at vegan diets and why they actually work out. They're, the majority of them are single. Okay, that's cool and no, good to know. They like going out on the weekends. That's good to know. What their favorite drink is, that's good to know. So I concoct this entire profile where I can actually point them out in a bar. I can pick them out of the like lineup. I know who you are. And I start writing to that person. And then I find that person and read the copy to them. Mm-hmm. And that's basically how I reverse engineer my copy. But not read the copy because I don't write it out. What I do is I go there with a recorder and I tell them, hey, listen, I'm going to record this. Um, and I just verbalize the copy to them. So I just like do like a verbal diarrhea piece where it's like, okay, so what I do is like discover how, blah, 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 you know, if this is whatever it is, do the entire sales piece into them um, and what each module is going to contain. And I look at them and go, okay, so what's your response? As like, I would or I wouldn't. Once I know that I have that, if it's I would, I have a perfect set piece, send that over to rev.com, have it transcribed, and then start editing. That's yeah. my process. That is fantastic. Because I mean, that's where, again, you come back to the length of writing a sales letter. That's why you can't write that sales letter in a week, right? Because yeah. all of that stuff that you just said, going and doing that deep research that no one else in the world is going to fucking do is going to be the thing that makes your copy stand out, your idea stand out more than anyone else's idea out there. So you have to do that deep level research. Yeah. You know, coming doing the same thing on a much more micro level, you know, for our people too is luckily, you know, I find myself uh, in even though I'm not in the same demographic as I as, as our readers, you know, I do agree with the same topics, I'm passionate about the same topics. Most of our readers are are on that conservative slash libertarian spectrum of the political scale. Yeah. I so, find most entrepreneurs and business owners tend to be once you start paying a lot of taxes, right, you, you quickly go from the left to the right. <laughs> <laughs> Very quickly. I like some of my, I like my liberties from the liberal side, but let's be honest, I don't want to pay all the taxes. No, that's exactly it. I don't want to support, you know, millions of Americans where I have no choice to do so. I'd rather give it to them uh, in a charity work if I choose to do so myself. But, you know, I'll do the same thing where uh, I'll go hang out on the online sources that they're hanging out, right? Like there's not a day that goes by where I don't reload the Drudge Report four or five times. You know, there's not a day that goes by where I don't check Fox News once to see what it is our people are being exposed to, what ideas they're hearing, how saturated they are. Because for us in the financial markets, we're always trying to find the top of mind story that's not being told. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you reload the drudge 15 times this week, you know, chances are 10 of the 15 times you're going to see Trump at the top of the drudge. Right. And it's going to be something about how Robert Mueller is trying to attack Trump right now with a different subpoena, yada, yada, yada. So I'm always looking, you know, what's the angle of that that's not being told in the financial markets? So unless you do that deep dive research, unless you go to the places exactly like what you're saying, you go to the places where your avatar hangs out, 
you experience the things that they're experiencing, that's the only thing that you're, that's gonna sharpen that ax. That's the only thing that's gonna make your idea work. Before you ever put pen to paper, before you ever write a single word of your sales letter, knowing what your avatar stands for, knowing what they fear, knowing what they desire, knowing what they're exposed to, that's the only way you're gonna get that good idea. So absolutely, man, I second uh, your deep research and I applaud you for it. Oh, thank you. And something you said that was so powerful. So I'm gonna to add to this. It's, it, it's like, you know when you uh, remember something that you used to do but you don't really do it anymore but it's still beneficial because you unconsciously do it? Yep. I usually, when I look at news reports and stuff like that, my, my thing is I don't look at what they're talking about. I ask the question, what question are they answering? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if they're talking about Trump is being attacked by Mueller or whatever it is. Okay, what's the question to that answer? The answer is Trump is being attacked by Mueller. What's the question they're asking? Mm -hmm. What's the question my, my, my audience member's asking? Because if I can find out what their question is, I can find a different angle for that same answer in my sales copy. Absolutely. It's a powerful subject on how you do that. So, okay, let's just jumping off that idea. Let's look at the uh, idea of pricing strategies because there's something that a lot of people really don't understand and i mean i had a hard time doing this for a very long time but i'd love to get your opinion mm -hmm. when you're writing copy how do you how well it's two questions one if you're freelance how do you how do you uh, set your prices that are correct based on your ability and the second is if you're working with agora what's the financial structure on that as well sure i'm going to answer the second one first then i'll come back to the first sure so uh, we at Agora Financial, we are in a unique point in our business right now, whereby um, I am not the best person to deal with from a freelance perspective. So we, I told you earlier, we have about 35 copywriters. They're all internal here in Baltimore, and we have a small satellite office of five or six writers down in Delray Beach, Florida. So um, you, do you guys have an office in London as well, right? Correct, yeah, so this will get on a little bit of a tangent, but we, Agora Financial, um, have a direct um, relationship, let's say, with a couple businesses around the world. We have an Agora Financial UK, we basically have an Agora Financial France slash Paris, we have an Agora Financial Australia, um, at some point we'll start a Brazilian company as well, and then we're looking into Germany as well. So. Uh, that's a little bit unique. Agora has a bigger presence around the world with offices in South Africa and Argentina and different places like that. But we, Agora Financial, have direct relationships with those couple offices that I just mentioned, London, UK, I'm sorry, London, um, Paris, and Australia. So in the States here in Baltimore, though, we have built our team either in Baltimore or Delray Beach, Florida. And for us, the pay scale for us is, you know, we have writers... Um, because again, they're all employees, so you know they get salaries and they get benefits and everything like that. We probably our lowest writers probably making thirty five thousand dollars a year base. Our highest writers making north of six figures base. Everybody gets a royalty structure starting from day number one. Wow. Uh, those royalties get uh, anywhere from let's say one dollar slash one percent all the way up to multiples of that. Um, without putting anyone's business too far out there. We have had a copy, we pay royalties quarterly too. So our highest salary does not go much above six figures as far as a base salary. But our highest copywriter um, last quarter got a royalty check for 1.3 million. Uh, yeah. the, the before that was about the same. So that copywriter might make three, three and a half million dollars this year. Uh, but the majority of that's coming from a royalty structure. Now yeah. having said that, again, I've been out of dealing with freelance copywriters for a while because 
I've found it much more useful for our business and for the copywriter over the long run to find themselves here to work with us and then I'll train them up, I'll get them experienced in financial copy quickly, I'll tell them about our systems and our strategies for developing ideas. So I found that to be more lucrative both for the copywriter and for me and for our business uh, over the past couple years. When I was in the freelance business of dealing with freelancers, you know, we'd pay anywhere from 3,500 bucks flat, you know, with a small royalty, let's say one or 2%, all the way up to maybe 15 or $20,000 flat, you know, with a four or 5% royalty. So that's kind of the range that we were dealing with financial copywriters. Wow. Uh, I do give everybody royalties. I want them to have royalties. Um, you know, every deal I do, they have skin in the game too. Yeah, so, because you know, you always want them to make money back and also it gives them an incentive to be good. Absolutely, right? You know, I've heard of other people doing these deals where they'll take a flat fee of like 25 grand from a client or something. And maybe that's right for them because maybe they're they're concerned that the client won't actually be able to track sales and pay them royalties. But you know, I mean, we're a big business. We track everything that we do. We give full transparency to all of our copywriters when we used to deal with them from a freelance side. Uh, so I incentivize everybody with skin in the game starting with day number one. So as far as how to price you know, yourself, um, you know, the offer that no one ever made me that I would have taken in a second. Um, and if, if God forbid, you know, Agora shuttered its doors tomorrow or I found myself not here uh, for whatever reason, uh, which from, wouldn't happen from my side, but if, if Agora Inc. decided I wasn't the right one for them, you know, the deal that I would make and the deal that I always wanted people to make uh, with me that no one ever did is to say, look, I don't want you to pay me any money up front. You know, give me a large portion of your net sales. So give me 10% of the people who buy and don't cancel. And I don't want anything up front. And I'll just prove it. I'll put the whole thing on my back. And I'm only going to get wealthy if my idea works. And if my idea doesn't work, then it, it's cost, you know, the, the client no money. So um, obviously that's a risk for the copywriter, but that's the deal that I would make is, look, I'm not going to take any flat fee. I'm just going to take a large royalty. And uh, assuming that you know the client will pay you that royalty and they're an honest client, that's a deal that I would make. See, I would totally do that, but I have this like weird stigma in my brain. I really can't do any copy unless I'm paid something. So yep. I'll give you an example of this. I actually have run this uh, deal before with someone where we did, I think it was 10% of net sales. And I said, I wanted $1 up front. Yep. There you go. Like I, they're like, why $1? I was like, because I still need to feel like I'm like, I owe something. Bear with me one second. I'll be right back. Just a second. Hold on. Sorry about that, just still at a friend's place and uh, the door, like other friends were basically arriving because I'm at a client's place and uh, we did this huge video today. But anyway, so I'm getting at is like, um, that did not work out well for me though. That was one of the instances where the copy I wrote converted, but the client didn't track their sales properly. So in the end, when we went through the tracking system, they just kind of like up and left with maybe around uh, a good like twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 that had my name on it. So I was like, damn it. Yeah, that's that's what sucks too. Is that I've never been part of that freelance game, you know, from the opposite side. Yeah. I've been lucky enough to always work with Agora here, so I always know that it, you know, we pay people. But I hear these horror stories about copywriters that, uh, again, do deal with these businesses that, for whatever reason, they can't track the sales, they don't want to pay them, they're out of business, they don't have the cash to do it, which is crazy to me because you know, if if, if someone's smart about running the business. The single thing that they should do to grow the business is always make sure that their copywriters get paid. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you. Like, um, like uh, just just to give you guys an idea on this one, just so like you really understand what's going on, I've had something along the lines of like three hundred thousand dollars taken out of my accounts for the last ten years of people not paying me, and these are people that just like I've written, like I've done a half and half deal where I'm like I get half money up front, half after the sale after the launch is done, and you know, or after I do delivery and I get a percentage afterwards or whatever it is, because I don't always do percentages just simply because some clients don't want to. Um, and I've had it where I wrote the copy and I'm like, great, we're launching, right? And like, yeah, we're not pursuing this idea anymore. I'm like, you signed the deal. You owe me the rest of this money. They're like, no, we don't. And they just ghost me. That's crazy. You know, yeah. and then what happens, right? Copywriting is a small world, at least of the people who know how to do it well. Yeah. And you know, that stuff gets around, right? So any client that doesn't pay their copywriter, that's crazy to me because it's such a small world and no copywriters are ever going to want to write for you again. Yeah, exactly. I'd, uh, I've, I've seen it so many times where people just like, no, I don't, you know, whatever, whatever bullshit reason it is. I've had people tell me like, um, you know what, if you charge more than $1,000 for copy, you're wrong. And I'm like, yeah, no, I charge a lot more than that now. Um, and they're like, oh, cool, blah, 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 whatever it is. And... The, the thing that really bothers me about people like this, I'm going to go on a tangent bitching for a moment. The thing that really bothers me with uh, people who don't pay their copywriters, what you really don't understand, forget the fact that you are completely killing off huge amounts of potential for your business to work with other people and getting your ass basically handed to you because no one wants to work with you. Um, what you're essentially doing is breaking rule number one of business, which is if you want to your business to succeed, never stop spending money on sales and advertising. Those are the two places you should put all your money in constantly to bring in more money. And you'll wonder how come, how come like your business has dried up? It's because you didn't keep advertising, you didn't keep pushing forward. But hey, that's my opinion. Absolutely. I mean, that is just bananas, right? That someone would not spend money there. It's like, like you said, it's rule number one of business. Yeah. Definitely. It's actually the reason why I became a copywriter because uh, it's funny because I read, shit, it was an Agora piece as well. Because um, my story is I didn't go pro until I was 18 because I didn't know I was writing copy until I was 18. Okay. Like the first six years, I was like writing really stupid random things for my dad. And I'll tell you the story after the show because like my audience has heard it like a million and one times now. Um, but essentially what it was is that uh, when I read it, shit, what was it I did? I read an Agora letter about um, the world's coming to an end. Okay. The end of the world sales that I think that was either Agora. I think that was Agora that did that, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, that, that sounds like one of our multiple packages. We've yeah. had yeah. a couple big hits in that same, uh, you know, doom and gloom type of style. Yeah, I, I read that. And at the time I bought into the idea, but I didn't have, again, I wasn't your target audience then didn't have money to invest. So what I did was I was kind of going, uh, when I started to learn copy, because I was doing like web design copy, trying to really find my feet. I was like 18 years old at this point. And I just said, I was like, nope, copywriting's the mess. Like once I got asked, I got told that, hey, you're a really good copywriter, you should do this. I was like, okay, I'm kind of sold on this, but what I've never really told anyone but until now is it was that Agora letter that really made me realize, what if the world goes to shit? Mm -hmm. What's like, okay, web design, there's going to be no computers to design stuff. Okay, uh, traffic buying, where am I going to buy traffic if there's like nowhere to buy traffic from? What if the world goes to complete shit tomorrow and we're not back into the stone age? What happens next? What's the master skill? Selling. Everyone's always going to need a salesperson. Get good at selling. Get good at writing copy because you can always leverage that for things. You can leverage that for food, shelter, dates, build an empire. 
Okay. Um, was that sales letter, was it by chance, was it uh, the end of America sales letter? Does that sound right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. That was one that we did not write here at Agora Financial. It was written by a uh, another Agora affiliate called Stansberry & Associates that yeah. I'm probably the most jealous of that sales letter, as is probably any other financial copywriter. That was the one where uh, everybody wanted to write that version of it. It's been the most successful acquisition piece of sales copy in the financial business ever. Oh yeah, hands down, without a doubt. Um, Stansberry is amazing in the wrong way, the way they do it. Um, yeah, that's insane. All right, so real quickly, because we're getting to uh, that part of the show, I wanted to ask you, like, there's three questions I always ask my guests. And the first one I want to ask you is, if you had to name three books that had the biggest impact on you, and there are some parameters, so I'm going to give you the parameters. And the parameters are this. The first two are actual books that are nonfiction. And the third book has to either be fiction or a movie. Okay. Mm, okay. So on that, on those parameters, what were they? Okay. So I'm going to cover the nonfiction as I think about the fiction. Uh, nonfiction, I would say uh, Oren Kloff's Pitch Anything. I don't know if you know Oren. Yep, or I love the- Oren stuff. Orin's great. Um, I had him come out to speak to our copywriters maybe six months or, or so ago from his home in San Diego. Uh, I'm a huge, huge fan of the psychology in that book and a huge fan of dealing with uh, the different areas of the brain and understanding how that works as it's related to how sales messages enter and are received by the brain. So Orin Klopp's Pitch Anything I think is amazing. Uh, second book I would say would be uh, Dan Kennedy's Making Them Believe. Have you read that one? I have not, but it's, it's on my t- it's on my wish list that I need someone to send to me. Amazing, amazing book about how a charlatan in the early 1900s uh, posed as a doctor and got young men to insert goat testicles uh, in themselves as a way to become men again. Mm-hmm. So it's this ridiculous idea, but the way that he, if, if you could take out the uh, felony stuff that he did, and if you can learn from psychology, just an amazing way of how he made people believe that that would happen. So those are my two nonfiction books, I would say. Oh, geez, fiction. I don't read a lot of fiction. You know, I'm a nerd so much for biographies and things like that. But that's uh, the thing. That's why I said movie as well. Yeah. So, oh, geez. Um, Hmm, hmm, hmm. Um, my favorite copywriting quote comes from the movie Seven. So I'm going to give that to you, even though that has no relation to copywriting whatsoever. Uh, and it, the reason I'm picking that one, you know, Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, that, that movie Seven, uh, yes. Kevin Spacey in it. The reason I give you that is that it's got my favorite copywriting quote in it. Uh, I told you earlier that I had two favorite copywriting quotes. One was Abe Lincoln. You know, you give me five hours to chop down the tree. I'll spend the first four sharpening the ax. My second favorite quote comes from the movie Seven. And it happens at the very, very end of that movie, if anyone's familiar with it, where, you know, this gentleman named John Doe, who is Kevin Spacey, commits all these heinous, heinous crimes. And the final two crimes are left unsolved. And he turns himself into police, who is Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. And he says, look, I'll take you to the uh, final two crime scenes, but it has to be you two detectives who take me. So you got John Doe in the back of the police car. You got Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman driving him to the final uh, two crime scenes. And Brad Pitt is asking him all these questions, you know, why he committed these murders as terribly as he did. And John Doe says to him, 
we live in a world where you can't just tap people on the shoulder anymore and expect them to pay attention. You have to hit them in the face with a sledgehammer and only then will you have their strict attention. So, you know, I think you relate that back to copywriting, right? We live in a world where people are being bombarded with messages that you can't just have this benign headline anymore and hope you get attention. You have to hit people in the face with a sledgehammer to get their attention nowadays. So uh, that is why I'm listing that one, even though it has nothing other than that to do with copyright. Hey, don't knock it. I mean, one of my favorite movies ever is still Limitless, and that has nothing to do with copyright. Well, the original book has something to do with copyright, and the movie doesn't. And that's basically on the whole idea of, um, what's it called? Uh, most people use a fraction of their brain. When you truly start using all of it, and you can use all of it, well, not use all of it, but you know what I mean, you can use more of it, and you start seeing different things. And that's just the whole way it is. So my other question for you is when, and some of this, something you said that it's one of the requirements of being at Agora, which is being able to, uh, being able to fail without feeling like a failure. Now, obviously I've been there as a freelancer, um, and I think everyone has some degree. What are some of the things that you guys teach, or even at least show people that when you have failed, you can get right back up. Like what is one of the things that you guys actually instill as a core belief? Yeah, it's really just that core belief that all of us are failing. You know, if you're not failing, you're not trying. So it's it's just a mindset shift that we try to put everybody into and we are fully transparent about um, all of us. We have no egos, you know, it's tough to have an ego in this business when you're failing 50% of the time even as a great copywriter with us. So. Uh, it's, it's access, I guess the only resource that we give our writers is access to other very good writers who are constantly failing because they're constantly trying to innovate new things. So that is really the only resource that we give to them is the discussion that they could have with people that are doing the exact same thing that they're doing, who have both succeeded many times and who have failed many times, times two probably. So that's the big thing, you know, we, we talk to them a lot about mind mindset, you know, and, and things and try to shift them into that perspective that, uh, you know, every, every time they fail is a learning opportunity, not a failure. Um, but that's the only resource that we give them is just access to all of us who have both had our successes and had multiple, multiple, multiple failures at the same time. Yeah, we failed more than you guys have, so that's why we can, we can just, you know, pick you back until it's not that much of an issue anymore. Exactly. Right, cool. So I guess my last question is my favorite one to ask as well. If you could give three pieces of advice to anyone that is going through um, that's going through like a hard time, whatever it is, what would you tell them? Like what, what three pieces of advice would you tell them? Like they've either plateaued or they're not able to get themselves out of a well. What three pieces of advice would you give them? Yeah, I would say number one is just uh, how powerful action is. You know, I, I see a lot of people who get stuck and they don't know what to do next. They're paraly they have paralysis by analysis. You know, they are afraid of failing again for whatever reason put them in this well that they're currently in. And therefore, they sit there and they're paralyzed like a deer in the headlights. Like you write for the self-defense industry, so you're going to get this. But, you know, the number one thing that people get hurt from in times of catastrophe is just paralysis. Most people freeze when times get tough. Yep. The people who succeed are the people who act. Not that they may be acting the right way, but the fact that they're just acting. The fact that they're moving in any direction whatsoever is an important step. So I would say that number one is just to move. 
you know, try something, do something, learn from something. Don't sit there paraly with paralysis because they, uh, uh, you know, they don't know what to do next and they're afraid of failing. I would say the second thing is I'm a huge believer that the mind and the body is connected and not in some woo-woo way, but I believe that your cognitive ability is directly associated with your physical uh, output. So I believe that getting out there and uh, not only acting and moving mentally, but acting and moving physically will lead to, co will lead to good things you know, from a cognitive benefit as well. So that would be the second thing is, uh, you know, get into some type of exercise routine, you know, get into yoga, like you mentioned earlier, get into meditation. And again, I'm not a woo-woo type of person. Yeah, it's just a thing that you do. That type of stuff. Yeah, um, no, I agree with you. The third thing I would say is surround yourself with people that you want to be. You know, surround yourself with people that aren't holding you back, people that aren't criticizing you, people that aren't laughing at you. Uh, surrounding yourself with the heroes that you want to turn into, everybody would be shocked at how you know, you'll begin to gravitate towards greatness when you surround yourself by it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's tough for a lot of people because a lot of people always want to be the smartest person in the room. You know, A lot of people that they may say they want to surround themselves with greatness, but when it comes down to a deep psychological side, they, their ego doesn't allow them to do it. You know, Their ego surrounds them with shitty people because they feel like superior to those people. But if you can feel in uh, superior to these great people around you, you'll gravitate towards a better life. So that would be the third thing is just surround yourself with the people that you want to be. And again, I know that's not you know, a great original quote from me, uh, but surround yourself with the five people you want to be and you'll gravitate towards it. That's awesome, dude. Guys, thank you. Uh, Joe, thank you for being here. And guys, go listen to this again because what Joe and I share is a hell of a lot of great stuff. And one thing I'm going to ask everyone to do and ask Joe if it's okay, if you have any questions, reach out to him personally. Uh, Joe, is your email still joe joeshrefer uh, at agorafinancial.com or jshrefer? Correct. It's J Schriefer, and I'll spell that for everybody. So just the letter J, and then Schriefer. S is in Sam. C is in Charlie. H, R I, E F is in Frank. E R at agorafinancial.com. So J S C H R I E F E R at agorafinancial.com. And uh, again, anybody that wants to know, you know, copywriting stuff. Uh, that's probably where my quote unquote area of expertise is. But I've got a lot of experience in tests that we've run from a marketing side, traffic that we've driven, mistakes we've made. Uh, we've uh, pretty much 10X'd our business since I've been here. Yep, that's that's the other reason. I forgot to mention that, but yeah, guys basically like increase their turnover by like 10 times just because you're kind of amazing. Yeah, and I, you know, we've made so many mistakes along the way. So if, if someone is stuck at the point, if they're you know not a copywriter, if they're an entrepreneur, if they're a small business owner listening to this, and they may be stuck at a sales plateau, say at a million or two million or 500,000 or 10 million, whatever it might be. You know, that's probably all mistakes uh, that we have made at that point in our business that I, can, I might be able to shed some light on and help some people out. Uh, and it's a small world, so you never know where these relationships go in the future. Uh, awesome. I freaking love it. Guys, go check, hit, go check Joe out. There's so many great things. I'm gonna be hitting him up for a couple of things as well. Uh, Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. I hope to get you back on in the future. Absolutely. Thank you. I uh, enjoyed talking to you. Hopefully, everybody got some good value out of it. Let me know how I could help you and your crew in the future. Definitely will do. Thanks, dude. See you soon. Thanks.